Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today we're continuing our team preview series with a look at maybe, not even maybe, it was the single worst division in the NFL last year. You were exposed to far too many of their games in primetime, none other than the NFC East. We're going through the Cowboys, Giants, football team eagles going to be answering the final question most underutilized player favorite fantasy value wild card scenario and finally give our picks for the over under and divisional winner and by we i mean myself ian hartitz and of course mr andrew erickson pff analyst can find him on twitter at andrew erickson underscore he's been joining me for all these team preview pods andrew we're talking on a wednesday Tuesday, I'm at the beach, so I'm struggling here with the days and all that. But how's it going, man? Probably not quite as good as as life with me on the beach, but can't be too bad. Nah, man, don't worry. I got my beach exposure this past weekend. I got absolutely lobstered on my arms. They're completely fried. So I got my time in the sun, but now it's August. Calendar's turned, and it's fantasy football season, man. This is when the people are coming out of their caves. They're being like, wait a minute, like who's on what team? Like what's going on? So glad that people are listening, and we're going to give them the information they need. Absolutely love it. We're going to kick things off with the Dallas Cowboys. Andrew, defining question. What do you got? My defining question for the Dallas Cowboys, as soon as I can find it on here, Ezekiel Elliott bounce back city. Yes, that is the answer to the defining question for the Dallas Cowboys. Again, if you're just tuning in right now, it's like, man, like Zeke sucked last year. Like, why don't I want to draft Ezekiel Elliott? You know, you want to draft Ezekiel Elliott. I think that he's one of the safer picks that you can get at the top of the first round because this is an offense that you just want different pieces and parts of. Again, before Ezekiel Elliott or before Dak Prescott had got hurt last year, Ezekiel Elliott was the RB3 overall in PPR. He was heavily involved as a rusher. He's 135 routes run per game or total routes run was number one at the running back position. So, you know, he's also getting involved in the passing game. And this is an offense that is just going to run so many different plays. The defense cannot stop anybody. Dak is healthy. The offensive line is healthy. It's PFF's sixth highest ranked group heading into 2021, which is a far cry from where it ended last season, which was as a bottom unit because basically everybody got hurt. Again, injuries usually will bounce back in a different way. So a team gets really hurt one year, usually they're more healthy the next year and vice versa. So for me, I feel really confident about Ezekiel Elliott and the way that the first round is kind of shaping up in fantasy drafts, like there aren't really that many like locked and loaded first round picks that you really can really feel good about. But I think Ezekiel Elliott is definitely one of those guys. 100%. You mentioned the RB3 finish with Dak under center. And I understand that people watched Zeke last year and were unimpressed. You should have been. You, you'd be hard-pressed to find a stat that he finished among the league's top 20 running backs. And when you're being paid to be arguably the top one running back in the league, that's not going to cut it. With that said, he wasn't quite as terrible, I think, as people made it out to be. Part of the problem is how good Tony Pollard always looks behind Zeke when he gets a chance to go in there. You know, similar to when Duke Johnson was backing up some running backs over the years. And I won't, you know, make myself any more hurt going down that rabbit hole but with Zeke what surprised me I guess is that you know we're getting all these oh he looks so great in the offseason like best shape of his life last year in that week one game against the Rams when he had 127 total yards two scores I thought he looked as good as he did in years man he was making guys miss in the open field and like you said RB3 over the first five weeks of the year. The issue was not only losing Dak, but losing the offensive line. When you only get two games in the entire year from your pair of starting tackles, like that's going to be tough for any running back to overcome. And Zeke still basically did, man. We're still talking about the worst case scenario for Zeke. He was still a low end borderline RB1 finisher. Like it's unfortunate you didn't get the top five guy you were looking for, but you didn't exactly, you know, 
lose. You didn't win your fantasy leagues with Ezekiel Elliott on your team last year, but I'm also saying you didn't exactly lose them. And I think we did see flashes that Rams game when he came back from injury against the Eagles, he forced 11 missed tackles on 19 carries. That was tied with week 17, Derek Henry for the highest single week mark. So we saw the flashes seems like his head is on, you know, as straighter than ever if we're taking any sort of, you know, uh, evidence from these off season, glowing off season reports that Dak and company have been throwing his way. Ezekiel Elliott, I think at this point, Andrew, even though the Saquon stuff I maintain seems to be a little bit more rooted and, you know, not even doctor, not even what doctors are saying, like the Giants want to, they have his long-term interests at heart. Of course they do. They should. But like, what's that mean? You're telling me if Saquon's suited up in week one, he's not getting 20 touches. With that said, there's far more concern around Saquon than Zeke. Would you take Zeke over Saquon right now? Yeah, right now I feel pretty good about that. I think that the touchdown upside in itself kind of lends yourself to leaning towards Zeke over Barkley. And the health is obviously a concern with Barkley as well. And like, you don't need to spend a top five as we'll get, we'll talk about Barkley, obviously, but like right now you don't need to spend a top five pick on Barkley because no one is really taking him in that area. Yeah. Saquon was my RB three about a month ago before, you know, we really started hearing more rumors about this and obviously the whole Michael Thomas thing. So right now I'm with you. Saquon's my RB six, still taking him ahead of guys like Aaron Jones, Eckler, Nick Chubb, who I think just aren't going to have the same overall touch ceiling because of the offense they're in. But yeah, Zico Elliott, anyone's idea of a top five running back right now uh, in fantasy land, at least uh, Andrew, let's talk most underutilized player, which means let's talk some Tony Pollard. No, I'm not talking about Tony. Oh, Pollard. Oh. <laughs> not talking about Tony Pollard, even though he was one of my honorable mentions here in this little section. Because I want to give some love to Michael Gallup, because if this guy was on any other team, we would be going crazy for him. Is even as like a wide receiver two or a wide receiver one. But the fact that he's just on the team with the best two receivers in front of him just kind of puts him in a position where he can't necessarily succeed. And people will point to the splits with him with Dak Prescott, where basically everybody was going supernova and fantasy points per game, except Michael Gallup. You know, he was basically abysmal 10% target rate per route run. He just literally wasn't being used at all. He was just really running routes on the outside, but we can't forget that like in 2019, he finished the 2020 season really, really strong. He was a wide receiver 13 total points from weeks 13 to 17. And he led the Cowboys in targets, receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns during that five-week stretch. So there's going to be ebbs and flows to this Cowboys offense throughout the year. So just because Gallup wasn't hitting with Dak Prescott at the beginning of the season, that doesn't mean he's never going to hit with Dak Prescott at all during the season. Like he is probably their most used vertical threat. Like he led the team in end zone target share last year and an air yard share. So he's getting those high value touches that can potentially make up for, you know, the less volume that you're going to see from Amari Cooper and CD Lamb that are operating more close to the line of scrimmage using more ends of the slot. But for me, it's like, look at wide receiver, like efficiency matters a little bit more than at running back because we can, tr there's only really like a, a few locked in loaded wide receivers that like a Devonte Adams, where we feel so confident about the targets they're going to get that we can, they're kind of like viewed almost as like running backs, but at the receiver position, it's like, look, we can't be picky about how many targets this player is going to get. Like if this guy's good, like he's going to end up falling into targets one way or another. And on this offense, I think it's really beneficial to go after a guy like Matt Gallup, especially if, what if Lamb or Cooper go, I mean, Cooper's banged up right now. Like if Gallup is able to emerge as a number one or two on this team, like he's a top 15 option, like how we view Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. So I think that Gallup has some good standalone upside or has some standalone value while also has some stand upside if there's an injury that occurs in front of him.
ADP wide receiver 36 at under the hog all the way down to wide receiver 51 at fantasy football calculator. <laughs> and that's why we, you know, don't, don't be using these redraft ADPs, you know, in your, uh, you know, they're, they're fine as a piece of the puzzle, but we should be leaning more on, you know, FFPC underdog ADPs where people actually have money invested, not, you know, these mock drafts that people were quitting after round seven and eight. And we're seeing guys like Gallup fall a bunch. So I'm with you. I gallop under my fan, favorite fantasy value because yeah, he's going as at least a wide borderline wide receiver three when even with the DAC games last year, which seemed a little more on the bad volatility side than the good, he was still the wide receiver 33 in those five games, even provided some splash weeks with Andy Dalton under center. He's one of these players where I'm with you. He is legit good at football and we should be trying to get these guys when possible. I mean, our ideal scenario is to pair elite talent with elite volume. It's hard to do, but Gallup that's in his potential range of outcomes. If things swing his way, even a little bit this year, I mean, really doesn't take much film uh, work to watch how good this guy is that week one game. You know, I'll just keep talking about that Cowboys Rams week one game from the entire podcast, but that was still one of the worst calls of the entire season when he put like a finger on Jalen Ramsey and Jalen Ramsey, one of the most physical defenders in the entire freaking league goes flailing around. Like he had just been, you know, two hands shoved by Tyron Smith or something out of there. So that was the only game. I mean, you look at the five games that DACA was under center. They scored 17 points against the Rams. That should have been at least 20, 24 after that 40 points, 31, 38, 37, Michael Gallup's could be a huge part of that. Whether or not he's the number three or, uh, you know, number two, we're still looking at someone that's being undervalued in fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes. A uh, quick shout out to Tony Pollard. For those that don't know, PFF's fifth highest graded running back over the past two years. He's tied with Nick Chubb for the highest rate of missed tackles forced per rush and tied with Derek Henry for the most yards after contact per rush. Clearly this is a, you know, ramification of a small sample size. I'm in no way trying to say Pollard is as good as those guys. Clearly talented player that has made the most of his touches. I'm excited to see him on more kick returns. We're talking about some jet sweeps and Cowboys camp, man. There was like a three week stretch last off season. I wasn't at PFF yet. Otherwise I would have been barking about this every week. I was really hoping that because the Cowboys didn't have a locked in slot receiver yet, we were going to see Pollard with the Travis Etienne, the Curtis Samuel, the Percy Harvin, the wide receiver, slot wide receiver, uh, second RB role. Unfortunately, that pipe dream died the second the Cowboys drafted uh, CD Lamb. And as it should, man, CD Lamb, you know, make him one circus catch after another there in training camp. Gotta love it. But Andrew, let's move on to your favorite fantasy value. Who you got? So we obviously talked about Gal, but like him as a value, but the other player is Blake Jarwin. So again, he was hyped up heading into 2020. He was eighth in yards per route run in 2019 at the tight end position. And last year, all we saw was Dalton Schultz finish as a tight end one. I think he was the 10th overall tight end and he ran the third most routes at the position. So there's a role in this offense that actually does utilize the tight end position. They don't run a lot of 12 personnel. So basically we're going to know pretty quickly whether it's Blake Jarwin or it's Dalton Schultz, like because chances are only one of them is going to be used on the field at a time because of how they rely on the 11 personnel, the three wide receiver sets with one tight end. So for me, Blake Jarwin, something I really want to keep an eye on is he playing with the starters in the preseason or is it Dalton Schultz? Because this offense, again, they're going to put up big weeks because no one's caring about chasing these tight ends at all. Like, so if you're waiting for a late round tight end option, I think that Blake Jarwin is potentially one of those guys. Again, you need touchdowns. If you're not going to see insane volume, which a lot of tight ends don't see volume at all. So Blake Jarwin, I think is a decent option as a late round tight end. 
Yeah, we're just barely missing each other here in the categories. I have my wild card scenario as Blake Jarwin comes back from the ACL and resumes his status as the starting tight end. You know, you said it season long, Schultz was a tight end one. And even just with Dak under center, he was the tight end 12. Jarwin basically going outside the top 20 tight ends, regardless of where you look. And all the way back in May, I was originally putting together my uh, my fantasy football tiers. Like, Andrew, I feel like we've just been, you know, we're, we're keeping it different, keeping spicing it up a little bit, but we've still been looking at the same damn play players, the same damn stats for the better part of the last like six months. So excuse me for going back here, but this stuff still holds up. Anyway, back in May, when I was making my fantasy tight end tiers, I left Jarwin off and one Cowboys beat writer, Mr. David Hellman, in my opinion, a great follow on Twitter. You can find him at Hellman DC. Love some of his work he's done in the past. Brian Broaddus, Dan Brugler, and the draft show. But basically, David responded to my tight end tiers, which did not include Jarwin. If the fantasy community can continue to sleep on Jarwin, it'd be much appreciated. I brought up the point like hey i know jarman's good but the schultz play well enough last year to just keep him off the field if you have two tight ends you probably don't have one in fantasy land david's reply i just think jarman has a downfield element to his game that we didn't see from schultz that we did play well banking on anyone in this offense is risky with so many mouths to feed but i'm still way high on his potential and that's it we were sky high on jarman last year i mean the amount of herndon jarwin sternberger teams i sent straight to hell in best ball land still pisses me off but all the points that we like jarwin for last year still hold true this year. They didn't bring in any newfound competition. And Felton Schultz is the worst guy you got to worry about. It's not so bad. So last year, I mean, Jarwin was someone we had to really kind of, you know, use a not an early round pick by any stretch, but you could wait until your last round of your fantasy draft to get him. You you can more times than not, I feel like this year, if not the last round, get him in the last several. So Blake Jarwin certainly gives you a little more upside, I think, than some of these other tight ends going around that range. Andrew, do you have a wild card scenario you'd like to bless upon the people? I didn't really know where, which category to fit him in, but I feel like we needed to talk about him. So while, so CeeDee Lamb is the, the fantasy wide receiver one in Dallas. Okay. So right now his ADP in, in most spots, at least on like underdog, he is going ahead of Amari Cooper, but that may be because of Amari Cooper's injury. Regardless, I, I just think that Lamb, again, you're seeing the highlights all over social media of him making these one-handed catches. And it's not like, this is just how good this player is. Like it's, it's just kind of like cementing his status as just one of these better players. Like his prospect profile coming into the league was freaking elite, like across the board. And he was a wide receiver one with Dak Prescott during the start of the season. You know, he led the team receiving yards, receiving plays at 15 plus yards, yards per route run, uh, 16.3 fantasy points per game. So for me, lamb is someone that I do want on my team again, right now, the price is still within reach. Like I still, I think he's a low end wide receiver one. I think that's an appropriate price. Again, I'm not ready to put him ahead of guys like McLaurin and Allen Robinson quite yet. So if he's going to go ahead of those guys, okay, maybe I'll, I'll pump the brakes a little bit more, but look, if you can still get lamb at a decent price in the, you know, third or fourth round into the third, fourth round, I think that lamb is just, dude, he's going to take that next step. I would take him ahead of Allen Robinson. I mean, lost in the reality that a Rob is an incredible wide receiver. He has to adjust to two more QBs this year, <laughs> and they might very well be the best ones he's ever played with, man. But we act like Robinson, like as great as he has done throughout his career of bad QBs, we act like he's just always overcome this. Like, no, after he had the 14 touchdown year with Blake Bortles, he put forward one of the least efficient years we've ever seen with a guy getting 150 plus targets, like 20, I believe it was 2016 Allen Robinson. 
like didn't even work as a top 24 wide receiver, even though he had more than 150 targets. It was him, Hopkins, and that Osweiler year, and like a Larry Fitz year in 2012. Those are the only instances of these guys busting with that many targets. So it could happen. And with CD, I just feel like we don't have that same issue with Dak back under center. CD has been my wide receiver 12 throughout this entire process. I still have Cooper ranked one spot higher, but I think you're happy with either guy on this team. They're both wide receiver ones when Dak was under center last year. Not exactly expecting that to change. I would just say though, man, like if the training camp highlights are what is changing, like any of you listeners out there, if that th those are what are changing your opinion on CD lamb. That should not be the case. We should already know this guy is a stud talent, a true top three, top four wide receiver in dynasty land already, maybe even higher than that. And I just think that if you're really gonna, you know, hold back, critique my Odo Beckham highlights by saying, Oh, it's just against the Cowboys. Like who cares? Maybe keep that in mind. When we're watching CD lamb, make one great play after another on anyone's idea of some of the worst DBs in the league. So CD lamb <laughs> top 12 receiver, just please chill out on these highlights a little bit. People I I'm happy football is back too, but let's be real now. All right, Andrew over under set at nine. The over is juiced up at minus minus one forty. I think it's a pretty good line. I kind of lean towards under though. I, I just don't know if this Cowboys team is as complete as they need to be to go, go ahead and, you know, just make a double digit win noise defense remains a dumpster fire. And while Dak and company, man, they can score with anyone. I'm just not sure that, you know, we're looking at even the best team in this division, like they're getting the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah. I'm still going to lean towards the over because I think that they have the best quarterback in the division and the division just, just sucks in general. Like that's like the thing. Like there's no one in this division that again, like the football team is obviously probably there both at the top them in Dallas. But for me, I'm going to just lean on the side of the best quarterback because that's what drives wins in this game. And that's what's going to ultimately be the deciding factor in when Dallas wins games at all is, is if Dak can throw for 500 yards and five touchdowns and outscore the other opponent because his defense is not going to stop anyone. So I'm going to go with you over. Yeah, we'll talk about it more with Washington, but I just really kind of see some 2019 49ers vibes from them. If Fitzpatrick, which is a big if, can just, you know, be the guy he's been over the past three years and the fact that they're overrunners at 8.5, I just think it's a discrepancy in terms of who the best team should be considered in the NFC East. I do not think we'll be arguing about whether the next team should be considered the best team in this division. The New York football giants, Andrew, our defining question has got to be, who are we getting from Daniel Jones? We're we getting the guy we saw in 2019 that actually gave us a lot of juice fantasy weeks, or we're we getting the guy in 2020 who managed to score fewer touchdowns than Dak Prescott, despite playing, you know, more than double the amount of games. I do think that we're going to see him take a step in year three. Again, look, if you look at him last year, before he got hurt weeks one through 12, he was PFFs 12th highest graded quarterback. Like he, like the thing with him is he just didn't have a lot of help at all last year. I mean, everything was kind of like holding him back. Like Darius Slayton was his number one wide receiver, a former fifth round pick. You have Jason Garrett calling the plays. You have an offensive line that can't stop anybody. And again, like not all these problems are, are out the door. Like we still have some big issues that are present for Daniel Jones, but at the same time for fantasy football, like we've seen the elite upside from him before 26 plus fantasy points scored four times in 2019. He runs like he's the least talked about rushing quarterback ever because no, like it's just, it's just like everyone decides like we love rushing quarterbacks except Daniel Jones. Like that's the only one we don't like, but before week 12, before his injury, third in the NFL in rushing yards, seventh in rushing attempts per game. So look, the offensive line, like I'm not trying to spin this as a good thing. Like it's not a good thing that their offensive line is trash. Like it's not a good thing, but at the same time, it does lend itself to him having to make plays with his legs. Like he's going to have to scramble and try to find space because the 
the pocket's going to collapse. Like it's, it's going to happen. He's going to have to make plays with his legs. If he has any chance of taking a step in year three. So I'm optimistic about Daniel Jones. I do like him as a late round quarterback option, especially because like he does have so much better weapons than he had last year. Again, it's not perfect because of the line Jason Garrett calling plays. And so far the training camp reports are, are not good <laughs> so far about the offense. It's, it's not a good thing. And look, first two games are rough Broncos. Washington football team, even though Daniel Jones, like somehow always finds a way to beat the football team. I don't know why I think he's actually undefeated against the football team. Uh, week three is the Falcons. So wait till week three for Daniel Jones. I think you'll have a big week in DFS Jones versus Washington, like Trubisky versus Minnesota, man. Some, some, uh, media quarterbacks just have their uh, squads. I guess they can beat up. Yeah. I was mad, man. I, I consider myself King of the Jason Garrett tw- train picture, uh, you know, game on Twitter. And I, I missed a big opportunity yesterday and shout out to uh, my former boss. Always a great guy. Adam Levitan at Adam Levitan over at established the run. And he actually hit the nail on the head with the train picture, but basically the quotes out of giants camp, the Giants have thrown an excessive number of phase into the end zone with little success. And also the Giants have also spent a lot of time working on wide receiver screens Two of the most inefficient routes and offense can run all engineers straight from the mind of one Jason Garrett. So yeah, man. And look, 2019. Yeah. I saw the you know desire to get in on Daniel Jones following that year. Only Lamar Jackson had more games with 30 plus fantasy points. That was the fun trend. We were all getting behind, you know, Phillip rivers in his entire career, never had a game with even 30 fantasy points. Got to bring that that up when we, when we can but yeah man i know tony's back i know gold is back but when you say like trash offensive line we are talking like shooter mcgavin what he finished they, they finished dead last in 2021 pff uh preseason offensive line rankings so you know if we have one of the problems like play calling was bad but the offensive line was okay maybe i could get more behind it but i think just with everything trending downwards in this offense i will probably be letting someone else draft daniel jones in the later rounds andrew I want to talk about John Ross for a second. Most underutilized player in 2019 started off the year, 158 yards, two scores, 112 yards in a score speed kills. He can fly. He's not going to get his chance though, because Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony are there. That's all we want to say about John Ross. I'm fine with that, but I'm just sad, man. He was one of these guys in free agency. I was really waiting to see if he can, you know, find a better chance somewhere. And I thought he did for a second. And then when they brought in Galladay and Tony, obviously that pipe dream is over preseason though. Look out. Yeah, I mean, John Ross, I mean, when he's been healthy, he's actually not been terrible of a fantasy. <laughs> he's actually been pretty decent. He's put up big names, either scored touchdowns or like had 100 yards receiving, but it's just a matter of him being healthy on the field. And I mean, he's getting reps in at camp. Like, I don't know if they're sold on Darius Slayton being like ahead of him in, in the pecking order. And Kadarius Tony, again, is also like, had a very unusual start to his career because he like didn't show up during mini camps and then he was injured and then he put on the COVID list. So, I don't know how involved Tony's going to be from the get-go. So it'll be see if Ross makes the roster, I think that's just like, okay, like let's, let's pay attention. If he can keep playing at wide receiver, not going to move to cornerback. I'll consider that <laughs> a win at this point. Did you have another unutilized player you wanted to bring up? Uh, yeah. Evan Ingram, please stop using him like Jason okay. Witten. <laughs> like, please. like I get that he was terrible last year. And again, First tight end since 2015 to lead his team in targets and not finish as a top 12 option is literally what Evan Ingram did last year. It's it's literally blasphemy that he was able to lead the team in targets and not be even a top 12 guy, like let alone like most if you lead your team in targets, it's like, OK, automatic top five tight end. Like it's that it's that easy. But look, Evan Ingram got the Jason Witten uses last year, his 25 or 25th and average depth of target. It was actually last among all Giants wide or all Giants starters across the board. And that was basically hindering his fantasy. Like he's a big play 
tight end. Like he needs to be used downfield. And the only game where Ingram had a, a dot over 12 was in week 12. And he went six for nine for 129 receiving yards. So they need to deploy him more downfield. And again, I'm not Jason Garrett. I can't tell him necessarily what to do. And considering they're working on screens and fades, it doesn't seem like this is going to be happening anytime soon. So yes, Evan Ingram, he's in that middle range of tight ends where you're kind of like, Oh, like I need a tight end. Like you should just draft one out. It's like, no, just, just stop, just draft more running backs, receivers, and just draft Adam Troutman, draft Joe that like just wait, because he's going to be putting up the same production as tight ends. You're going to get four or five rounds later. It'd be iffy on Ingram if we only had to worry about the pecking order now that Galladay and Tony are in there. But bringing in Kyle Rudolph on a $12 million deal over two years, like that is not insignificant, people. We're going to see more of a two tight end offense. Keep an eye on Rudolph's injury. I know he's on the pup list right now, so we need to monitor that. But yeah. And all the stars aligned for Ingram last year. He couldn't get it done. He'll have some sort of touchdown aggression, but I think the targets could be cut in half. And at that point, we're just looking at someone that best case finishing as a low end tight end one. I'd rather have someone with higher upside. I still can't get over Ingram going as high as he is going in drafts. Could not pay me to draft this man as a top 12 tight end at the moment. We'll see if I end up looking like an idiot when it's all said and done, but I'm feeling good. Just based on projected targets, people. I thought Ingram was better than he showed last year. He probably will be better in 2021 than he was in 2020. Just going to be hard for him to be that much better when we're potentially cutting the opportunity in half. Let's talk fader fantasy value, Andrew. I think we're on the same page here. One, Sterling Shepard. Yes, Sterling yep. Shepard is so is so disrespected because he doesn't have he doesn't have upside Ian. like he doesn't have any upside even though he finishes a top 12 uh fantasy wide receiver the last two games in 2020. Ooh. Look, he has he gets targets, people. Like that's the biggest thing is like you need targets to score fantasy points. And since 2019, he's averaged eight targets per game. <laughs> like that's a lot. And when you look at just him with Daniel Jones, he's averaged 15.9 fantasy points per game, which is top 15. He leads the team in target rate per outrun with Daniel Jones under center, 22%. Like he's like wide receiver 70. <laughs> he's absolutely so free. So if you don't want to invest in Galladay's going too high, you don't want to touch Barkley because you're worried about the injury. Like Sterling Shepard is the cheapest hundred targets you'll ever get in fantasy football. Like that's the guy. And just because he's attached to this lackluster offense, he gets kind of he's he's his cost is suppressed because of that reason. But the guy just is consistent. Like he's one of these few receivers that actually is really, really consistent week in and week out. And look, targets lead to upside. So he's going to have a few splash weeks here or there because he's getting targets in the offense. And he gets to move back to the slot where he's always seemed like he's more comfortable in the golden Tate out of the picture. So Sterling Shepard has at least six targets in 26 of his last 27 non-injury shortened games. Absolutely wild. He had a really long uh, streak going. Shout out to ESPN's Mike Clay for originally uh, bringing that to mind. Everyone else's attention when it was at like 20 straight games or something. Missed one, but man, oh man. Yeah, if you just want to talk about a guy that is going to beat his ADP no matter what, it will be Shep. I understand that he probably doesn't have, you know, overall, you know, top 12 upside throughout the entire season. But yeah, when he's going outside the top 70, like that's, the point where we're fine taking this guy i i get not necessarily drafting players just because they're a value because you don't want the wide receiver 40 even if he's going as the wide receiver 60 but i think Shepard has seen enough of a target floor and just you know be a good player like i you you'll watch Shep, man you get those wide receiver cornerback iso cams this dude can you know route run with the best of them and even if galladay is now going to be the number one there i mean you know Shepard hasn't even been the established number one his whole time there i think moving into this slot having just a better version of jones hopefully under center could bring out the best of Shep here in 2021. Let's go wild card scenario, Andrew. And we haven't talked anything about Saquon Barkley here. So I'll start. 
Wild card scenario is that Saquon misses like a month and Devontae Booker emerges as someone that you want to have on your fantasy team in September. I'm not completely sold on this myself because we got Alfred Morris in there now, but we did hear Dave Gentleman after they signed Booker in April, call this guy a three down back and Hey, there's enough smoke with the Saquon recovery to think it's plausible. I still think Saquon's out there in week one, getting 15 plus uh, targets and carries. You know, we did have Joe judge recently say Saquon is making tangible process. Every single like issue with Saquon seems to be coming from Jordan Renan. And every single time he just says that the giants have Saquon's long-term issues, like long-term health in mind. Of course they do. It's Saquon Barkley. You drafted the guy second overall a couple of years ago, but I just don't see a world where he's healthy enough to suit up week one, which they've always said is if not possibility, the expectation and Jason Garrett's not going to use him. I mean, how many times did we hear this? It wasn't from injury, but whether it's Zeke coming back from suspension, coming back from Cabo, come back from wherever. And then what Jason do, he fed him his usual, you know, feature workload from day one. I think there was that dolphins game a couple of years ago where the Cowboys were pretty much blowing them out and they didn't really need to keep their foot on the gas Maybe Pollard was a little more involved than we thought, but just expecting Saquon to be down for more than a week or two, man. I, again, as long as the health goes right until we hear a doctor say, Hey, Saquon is not recovering fast enough. Like he's not healthy enough to play right now until we hear that I'm fading this idea. So I guess my wild card scenario, I don't even believe in myself, but it, <laughs> it could happen. We have to realize there is a possibility. Saquon, you know, is going to miss a little bit of time, but I, I didn't feel bad enough about it to move him any lower than my RB six. If anytime I can get Saquon man at the bottom of round one, God forbid the beginning of round two, I am drafting him every single time. Oh yeah. No, I think that that's a sweet spot. Like if I'm picking that the, the 12, 13 turn, I'm always going to get Saquon with one of those picks. Like you cannot, if you're picking the second round and he's there, like you have to take him like no matter what, like he should be the number one pick there in the second round if he falls. And I guess my take on Barkley is like, look, I think that, it's a, it actually would provide some peace of mind for fantasy managers if they don't actually play him in the beginning of the season, because the last thing you want is for him to get 10 touches a game with an underwhelming offense, because he's going to need the workload to overcome all the problems we talked about with his Giants offense. Like he's going to need volume. And the issue is they have a really tough schedule that we already talked about. They have the, he have the hardest schedule for running backs for the first five weeks of the year. So all those things combined, like, I don't think we're going to see a lot of like top end tier production from Barkley. It's really going to be a long-term play if you're investing in Barkley and just be smart about it. So if you draft Saquon Barkley with the top end pick, look at Devon Burke, but also look at some of these other, you know, quote unquote, starting running backs like a Raheem Mostert, Ronald Jones, Melvin Gordon, guys that are falling because, okay, by the end of the year, like they're going to get lose their jobs. That's fine. Like you have Barkley locked and loaded for the end of the season. So look at some of these other players to potentially pick up the slack during the beginning of the year. So I think that with the right approach, you can make Saquon Barkley work on your fantasy team. I think that is an interesting way to kind of approach it. But for my other wild card is Kenny Galladay finishes as a wide receiver one, because I think that the fit works with Daniel Jones as a guy who throws downfield or he's been efficient throwing downfield highest passer rating on 20 plus yard targets last season. And he throws in the tight windows, 22% tie for fourth highest uh, last season. And that's what Kenny Galladay's claim to fame is like contested catch receiver. He's number one in fantasy points per touch over the past two seasons. And that's really what was the biggest problem with Daniel Jones last year. He literally did not throw any touchdowns because he literally had no one to throw the ball to. So I think they were placing those downfield targets and end zone targets that were going to Darius Slayton last year with a guy like Kenny Galladay. I think it's just going to naturally boost Daniel Jones's numbers. I think kind of helped Kelly Kenny Galladay a lot. 
Bad timing, Andrew. 12 minutes ago from Jordan Renan, Kenny Galladay just walked inside with the trainer. Not long after this play, you can see him kind of grab the back of his leg. We will monitor that injury. John, John Ross, baby. John Ross just, season. Let's go. <laughs> God, I love mid-podcast updates, no matter no matter how severe. The, 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 worst yeah, but, one, the worst one ever was last year when Dez got pulled out of the Ravens-Cowboys uh, game, right. like in the pregame, and Dwayne had to tell me live. But we also got an A.J. Brown touchdown live on the pod uh, last year. What were you saying? No, I was saying, uh, so just more Sterling Shepard because yeah. this is just this is another reason he's going to get more targets in the offense. So you're going to be good there, but yeah, it's, it's going to be definitely tough sledding for these giants, especially in those first two weeks. And and, and that's the other thing too, kind of bring it back to Barkley is look, if they start Owen too, like they're going to have no choice. Like, okay. Like we need to like, we need Barkley out there. Cause our offense, like we're losing games. Like we need our best player on the field. So they're going to, their hands going to be forced sooner rather than later to get Barkley going. I'm just fading more because the way they've made it sound, it's like they're going to have him out there, but not be giving him the feature role. And that's what we don't really see. Yeah. We see teams hold the guy out, but if you're saying he's not healthy enough to play, like why is he out there to begin with? So that would be the confusing part uh, for me with that. But Hey, we'll see. Should get more info as August continues. Andrew, the giants went six and 10 last year. Their over under is now set at seven. We have a slightly at minus minus one thirty on the over. What are you feeling? I, it looks like a stay away to me. If anything, I would take the under because I think we're looking at the worst team in the worst division of football. But hey, you know, defense did finish ninth last year. If we get a little bit of a bounce back from Jones, it certainly is feasible. This team could flirt with, uh, you know, eight and nine, nine and eight record. Still going. I'll still take the under, even though I think Dan Jones has more fantasy upside than than most people do. It's just the turnovers. That I just don't see them necessarily going away because he's going to be under pressure a lot of the time. Like I can read off like, how he was actually pretty decent from a clean pocket. But then I'm like, wait, <laughs> that, that really doesn't help us here because it's not going to be a clean pocket most of the time. So yes, Dalen Jones, I'm sorry. The offensive line is still, it's, it's too big of an issue because it's, it's the bottom of the league. Like if it was just an average offensive line, it's like, okay, like whatever, it doesn't really move the needle, but it matters here. And he has so many turnover issues with fumbles and interceptions. Just it's going to cause them to lose more games than not. 29 freaking fumbles over the last two. Daniel Jones needs to start, you know, take a page out of Jameis Winston's offseason <laughs> workout, start having random people, you know, spraying hoses at him, trying to bat the balls down with baseball bats, whatever you can do, Daniel. And, you know, you mentioned this in passing earlier, but it really was his rushing upside that made him even a somewhat viable streamer throughout last year. We talked about how Kyler's shoulder injury sapped all his fantasy value. That was like going from the overall QB1 yeah. to like a QB2. <laughs> so that was kind of more in the, uh, you know, more in the mainstream media. But Jones went from like a potential upside QB two streamer to just never start this guy. Once he had that hamstring injury, that's how useless he became without his legs. So yeah, not having that offensive line, it might make him uh, run a little more, but please for the love of God, be healthy this year, Jones. Otherwise that is going to be a problem, but people, I hope that, you know, throughout the first 30, 40 minutes of the podcast, you can tell one thing that fantasy football is here and no one can prepare you better for your draft than PFF. And for just nine 99 people, you can get access to PFF's fantasy football draft guide, player rankings and projections including mine and Andrew's uh, specific rankings, all the PFF's locked article content, cheat sheets for your fantasy draft, and more. Again, that's PFF's Fantasy Suite for just $9.99, just smarter than your league mates this season. And also, people, before we get into the next segment, I want to give a shout-out to our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is free fantasy football league managers, the most customizable, easy to use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. If you're coming from another site, that is no problem. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues completely free. So sign up 
and play now at fanchacks.com slash PFF and get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league. Make your league on Fanchacks and then head on out to a free Las Vegas Raiders games with your buddies. That would certainly be my pick if I won this. I'm not eligible because, you know, I'm the one reading the ad, but you could imagine that's fanchacks.com slash PFF, the home of fantasy sports. We will save our always a glorious manscaped ad for later and continue with the Philadelphia Eagles. Angie, let's talk some Jalen Hurts. Is he the QB of the future? Or are we looking at a one-year wonder type of situation? Nah, man. I think he's QB future, especially because his ADP is starting to go down a little bit more because people are starting to realize that we were way too excited for, about him and to start. It's like, wait a minute. Like he did have like the worst accuracy percentage last year of all quarterbacks. Like, let's take it back a notch. But he's starting to settle in where. I think he's actually going to be a late round quarterback in most traditional redraft leagues. So I think that you should be on Jalen hurts potentially because of the way that, you know, he runs like that's the biggest thing. That's what he offers his upside. Just last season, his rushing alone, that production was putting up top eight fantasy quarterback numbers. So if he just improves just marginally, even like he doesn't even improve that much as a passer, but he should, and that should make him be, you know, flirt with potentially top five fantasy football numbers. You have Devontae Smith. Okay. Hopefully that he's healthy by the time the season starts. He's a huge upgrade because last year, nobody threw to less open receivers than Jalen Hurts did. <laughs> so having Devonta Smith, who is basically gets open at will at Alabama, that's going to help him a ton. You also have the new offensive coordinator coming in, Nick Sirianni, who I think is going to help Jalen Hurts completion percentage because last year, part of the reason why Hurts' completion percentage was so bad was he was actually throwing to the perimeter like all the time. Like he never threw over the middle of the field. He had the highest percentage of throws outside the numbers. And those are just going to be harder throws to make. So you look at his average depth of target combined with the fact that he was actually throwing to the boundaries significantly all the time. Like, of course his completion percentage was terrible. Like it's impossible. But when you look at Philip Rivers, like heat map, for example, it's all over the middle of the field. So you're going to have more layups for Jalen Hurts. They're going to use more screens, take advantage of, you know, a guy like Jalen Rager who has yards after the catch ability, you know, Devonta Smith can make plays after the catch as well. So I think the system is going to be a little bit more favorable for him. They're not just going to be chucking it every single time, throwing it deep. The offensive line is healthy. And that's a big thing is the offensive line is healthy. Like this is the big issue with Daniel Jones, not an issue here with the Philadelphia Eagles. So I think that Jalen Hurts definitely has the repertoire to be a legitimate fantasy quarterback. And I think that he's worth buying at the discount. People are, concerned about the Eagles potentially trading for Deshaun Watson. But at this time, it's like, you got to go with the information we know. And right now hurts is starting to fall like as like a top hundred pick. So I still like him at that value. I've had him as my QB nine throughout most of this offseason. He's finally down to QB nine underdog. And I'm seeing him at QB 11 on fantasy Calc. So we've kind of been mocking the people that, you know, you, you see these tweet, like who's your, who's your late round quarterback this year. And people have been saying Jalen hurts. And it's like, no, he is actively a top eight quarterback being drafted. Maybe just maybe in your hometown leagues, you can get hurts as a late round QB, which is fantastic. Why wouldn't you? Because as much as he was a bad passer last year, 41st among 44 qualified QBs in passing grade. Dead last in just a completion rate, as you said. I mean, even only tied for 26 in big-time throw rate. He still threw for 338 yards and 342 yards in two of his starts. I mean, we couldn't say that about Josh Allen until the year 2020, man. So style points don't count in fantasy football. And if he's able to put up big numbers, despite them not really being, you know, all that, you know, great in real life or of the efficient variety, we don't really care because he was on pace for 184 carries. If you extrapolate his four starts over 16 games, that would be the most by a QB ever. And you brought up the O-line injuries. I don't think people, at least I didn't looking back on last year, 
unless you're an Eagles fan, you probably didn't realize quite how bad it was up front. Their left tackle, Andre Dillard, missed the entire season with a biceps injury. Their right guard, Brandon Brooks, missed the entire season with an Achilles injury. Isaac Ciamalo missed seven games with a knee injury. Jason Peters missed eight games with a toe injury. Lane Johnson missed nine games with an ankle injury. It's a miracle they still finished as an average offensive line, as we've seen really for the better part of the past half decade, this offensive line has usually been one of the league's better units. And then when you look at the receiver upgrades, getting Devontae Smith, a healthier Jalen Rager, maybe, maybe more Dallas Goddard than Zach Ertz. We'll see. Either way, it should be an upgrade from a unit where last year we were begging them to play more Travis Fulgham, not to put down our guy Fulgham. I do think he flashed, but if that's your big solution, like clearly we need to add some more assets to the receiver room. Credit to the Eagles for managing to do just that. Moving right along to our most underutilized player. I hope it's not Dallas Goddard, Andrew, but it's looking like that's going to be the case. You know, we got Ertz doing his best, you know, real slim shady impression out there in camp. And it's looking like they didn't find a trade package that suits them maybe they cut a man but there's a real possibility they go into this year with zach Ertz and dallas goddard as their top two tight ends like, like they have the past three years and i see people like not even changing their rankings because of this like come on people what the hell are you smoking last year in 11 games Ertz had 72 targets goddard had 65 We've been over this. If you have two tight ends in the same offense, you're going to be really hard pressed to even have one fantasy relevant guy. I think Goddard deserves to be ranked higher than Ertz, but he's way more of a borderline tight end one as opposed to that top five, top six option we could have hoped for without Ertz in the picture. So right now, man, I'm not buying Ertz anywhere near where he's going in fantasy drafts. I think he is starting to slide down a little bit, but it's not been a much. Give me, you know, the Troutmans, the Ferksers, the Jarmans. Give me these late round guys over the middle tier, and hopefully you can avoid both of those situations by just getting one of Kelsey Waller or Kittle to open things up. So are you with me that we're not going to see enough Goddard this year? Or do you think that the Ertz presence in this offense is just a Fugazi? I think that it makes sense to not be over ahead of the field on Dallas Goddard, because part of the reason why we liked him was that the fact that Ertz was supposed to leave, like that yes. was the plan. That was the plan. And it's like, guys, like we got to get off take lock and realize, wait, no, he's not leaving. Like we need to like, Rechase our steps and like readjust to Dallas Goddard. Cause now Dallas Goddard is more in a situation where we don't know if he's even going to be like, where does he fall in the target peg more? Like if he comes out and he plays 75% of the snaps and Zach Ertz plays 25, it's like, okay. Like we see a, a gap between the two players. Like they're not using them in conjunction. It's really, he's the tight end one and Ertz is a tight end two, but if they're both 50% snaps, 60% snap share, it's like, okay, well, they're useless now. Like we can't like rely on either of these guys. Whereas we thought Goddard could potentially be, I've got to take a step. You know, this is definitely hindering his potential to break out this season for me. Look how, most... Indy, look how Indy uses their tight ends. Like we, oh, yeah. we use the Indy correlation for Hertz. We use it for miles Sanders and we just ignore it with the tight end. So like, come on, people be better. Yeah, the, the Indy is a good, especially because you have literally the guy that was in Indy the past three seasons <laughs> who's coming in is going to use a lot of 12 personnel, probably get some Richard Rogers action too uh, and for, for the tight ends. So for me, my most underutilized player, and it's someone that I'm projecting to be potentially underutilized, it's going to be Miles Sanders. So the biggest thing when Doug Peterson got fired last or at the beginning of the offseason was okay like finally miles here is gonna get unlocked it's like guys like he was already like a three down workhorse last season 70 70 percent snap share in eight of 12 games played average 19 touches per game in those contests and i just don't know if that's gonna happen with nick sirianni who's coming from the frank reich tree of coaches where it's like all right well we got naeem hines we've got you know jonathan taylor we got marlon mack he just has a plethora of running backs that he's going to use and i just don't see miles sanders seeing that similar type of workload that he saw last year. And that's why my ranking of him is 
much different than the consensus on Miles Sanders because I just don't think that he's going to get three down workload that he got like last year. And that's why I'm not as high as him as other rankers in as the ADP would stand. So again, Kenneth Gainwell's there, Boston Scott, Kerryon Johnson, Jordan Howard. Look, I don't think any of those guys are any can touch what Miles Sanders can do from a talent perspective, but they're all on the team and they all can eat into potential touches for Miles Sanders. Carry on Johnson specifically was PFF's third highest graded pass blocker in 2020. Sanders was 50th. So again, you have someone that can work in pass pro that's potentially better than Miles Sanders. And something that was really interesting about Miles Sanders, looking at his career trajectory as a three down back. So his PFF grades on early downs, 41st in the league, third down eighth. So for me, that kind of paints the picture of a player that's hasn't really been a complete back. Like if you look a lot of his yards per carry, a lot of the numbers are boosted because he's made a lot of big plays on third downs. So I think that's just kind of interesting the way that he's been used. I think he's actually maybe more entailed as a three, a third down back as opposed to a first and second down grinder where he needs to get touches in between the tackles. Maybe that's why they brought in Johnson and Howard to do those types of carries. So I'm just concerned about how much volume he's actually going to get in this offense. We already have the mobile quarterback thing going on, which limits his potential in the passing game. And look, he's probably going to rush his efficiency is going to be there, but how much, how, how high does yards per carry have to be? Like, is it going to be like seven yards per carry? Like, look, he was already averaging 6.3 yards per carry with Jalen hurts. He averaged five yards per carry with Carson Wentz. So it can't be like eight or nine yards per carry for Miles Sanders to pay off. Like the efficiency is going to stop and plateau at some point. So I'm just afraid that's not going to be enough to really overcome what people are expecting from him. Just fourth quarter, Nick Chubb for an entire season, 10 yards per carry with no <laughs> issues. Yeah. I mean, I, this is my wild card scenario that Sanders could be the workhorse, but I don't think it's going to happen, man. You said it. I mean, Boston Scott, Jordan Howard, Karen Johnson, Kenneth Gainwell, too many bodies. And they're saying Scott still looks like the RB two. And as much as Sanders, you know, he pretty much did have a workhorse role. He wasn't quite, you know, 90% snap rates, but other than McCaffrey, I mean, you just don't really see that uh, too much these days. He was generally hitting 75% plus we did see, times though when the Eagles got behind they were more willing to put Boston Scott out there on passing downs and I think Kenneth Gamewell if you know if you've gotten anything from the Eagles media just tweeting out their freaking videos of players standing next to a trash can catching the ball and putting it in there like come on guys give us something you're there you got feet on the ground boots on the ground give us one video other than that it's pissing me off I've seen Miles Sanders Devontae Smith and Kenneth Gamewell standing next to the same damn trash can just dropping footballs into it we get it quit sending me that and then saying like, Oh, Miles Sanders RB one this year. Like, come on, give me something. But with that said, everything points to this being a far more split up backfield and Sanders deserves to still be treated as the lead back. But when that lead backs projected for closer to 200 and 300 touches, these are the types of situations we should be looking to stay more away from Sanders is almost like Philip Lindsay, man. Like I think we kind of expect him to be more of a like better pass down back than he actually is. I mean, he was tied with Zeke for the most drops of that position last year, had a lot of fumble problems. I know he's a savage pass protector. I've seen the highlights of him just putting linebackers in the dirt and that's great to see. But when we have these issues about them bringing in game ball to maybe be the new Naeem Hines and obviously having Howard and carry on there, maybe for some uh, short yardage stuff, there's enough questions where, yeah, I'm just taking a top 15 wide receiver over Sanders every single time when it comes down to it and fantasy drafts moving on to our favorite fantasy value. Who do you got, Andrew? I like Devonta Smith. So I think that he's still a good value. Again, his value is going to just get suppressed because he's dealing with this knee injury, which 
again, was was the big kind of knock on him coming in was, oh, he's got, you know, B, I was afraid BMI Twitter was going to come out after Devontae Smith after he banged up his knee, which look, this happens sometimes where rookies get hurt and then their ADP like, like plummets and then they come out and they're fine. So I, I wouldn't read too much into it. We got to chase the targets potentially that's in this offense. We chase the talent with Devonta Smith, first round pick guy could get open better than any other receiver in college football last year. And that's what Jalen hurts needs. Like it wasn't Jalen Rager was an option last year for him, but I think that Devonte Smith is still the guy that you want in this offense because Rager is still a question mark. Again, we mentioned Fulgham is kind of like a upside player. If there's more injuries that happen, but it's still Devonte Smith that should probably lead the team in targets, even with Ertz still back in the mix. And I know you're really high on Smith. Are you changing your stance on him at all with this injury? Are you doubling down or maybe like I'm looking at it right now. I have him as my wide receiver 25 right now. And I don't really think I'm going to change it. It's a sprained MCL, man. We're getting a couple weeks. It's freaking August 3rd. Like that's okay. If anything, the first few practices he was at gave us the confirmation that we wanted that he is looking like they're legit undisputed number one pass game option. I mean, I, hey, the knee wasn't a problem when they're saying Jalen Hurts is hitting him for 80 yard touchdowns down the field. I think the one uh, stat I saw was in like his first two practices caught seven to 10 targets and had three touchdowns in that stretch. So for me, everything sounded like Devonte Smith was having his way with the defenders like we thought he was in this practice and yeah you know sprained mcl not ideal also you know similar injury that aj brown had to go through and in, in his uh, rookie year and then he comes out and goes for over 100 yards against yeah. the titans in week one so you know it, it's not ideal i wish Devonte was healthier but i will absolutely be taking the discount uh you know with uh where he'll likely be going so still looking at an absolute stud and a wide open offense with the qbs familiar with i've always thought the discrepancy between jamar chase Devonte smith and even jalen waddle was a bit too wide. So yeah, I'm with you. Also my favorite fantasy value, Devonte Smith, keep giving us that discount, man, because remember last year, like it took us weeks for Justin Jefferson and T Higgins to even earn their offensive starting role. Devonte should have that from day one, but Jalen Hurts, who we've established isn't the most efficient quarterback in the world, but again, already has proven 300 yard upside in his arsenal. Andrew, I talked about my wild card scenario already where Miles Sanders could be the workhorse, although I don't think it's particularly likely. What is your wild card scenario for the 2021 Eagles? I mean, it's our guy, Travis Fulgham, because he's got an opportunity to potentially get more reps in with the starters. Now, Devontae Smith is obviously out. Jalen Rager failed his conditioning test, which is definitely not a good sign. And it's Sheesh. different from it's different from Goddard. It's actually like, look, because Goddard failed his conditioning test too. I was like, oh my God, like what are these Eagles players doing? But Goddard like did his conditioning test like incorrectly, which is why he failed. It's not because he was out of shape. He like did the wrong exercise or something like that. So that's a whole other issue. Maybe that's why they rock back Ertz because just Goddard just not, things aren't clicking with him mentally. But Travis Fulgham, again, kid was absolutely balling last year, weeks four through eight. He led the entire NFL in receiving yards, PFF seventh highest graded receiver. So there is talent here present somewhere in Travis Fulgham's body. Like it, it exists in his body. And again, look, Jalen Rager was the first round pick that the Eagles took last year, but we don't know if he's going to really ascend to be at least the number two on this offense. Like he's slided. He shouldn't be viewed as that, but it would not surprise me if Fulgham was able to outproduce him potentially alongside Devonta Smith. So again, if Fulgham makes the most up with his opportunities with this offense, especially if he flashes in the preseason, I think that's kind of important to know because he might be Jalen Hurts guy potentially if Smith's not playing. So Fulgham, I think we might see some more steam come out about him. So he's someone to keep uh, tabs on over under sitting at six and a half. We got a minus minus one thirty juice 
on the over. I like the over. You tell me the Eagles are worse than the New York Giants. I do not see it, man. And particularly when you look at their schedule, I mean, they are certainly benefiting from their finish last year. We got appearances against the Panthers, the Raiders, the Lions, the Jets, even the Broncos, if you want to throw them kind of in that just crew of just terrible, potentially terrible uh, football teams. And, you know, and again, the league's worst division. I think it's reasonable. The Eagles could, you know, win maybe three of those five games I just listed. And I don't know, go four for freaking six against this terrible division. It's not out of the picture. And I just think, you know, again, I'm basically the reason why I'm taking the Cowboys under is because the Washington football team, in my opinion, should be favored ahead of them. The reason why I'm taking the Eagles over because I should, I think they should be favored ahead of the giants. Are you with me? No, taking, wow. taking, taking the under like the plus money on the under. So I'm going to take, I'm going to chase that. The secondary is still terrible. Their defense is not great. Darius Slay was terrible last year and he was their best cornerback. They like went out and acquired to like be a, a, a solution to their secondary problem. And he just didn't deliver last season. So I've got concerns about the defense and look, this team has been like, so, so on Jalen hurts. So I'm just concerned that if they start out kind of like, eh, that they just kind of like pull the plug during the end. I mean, last year we literally saw them throw a game so they could have a higher draft pick. So again, I experimented that I experimented with this, with the Miami team that basically tanked in a couple of years ago, I took their over and it just was awful because there's like, well, this team is trying to lose games. And I took their over, like, this is not a good combination. So that's why one concern with the Eagles that they find them, they find themselves in a place where it's, Hey, like we just want higher draft picks because we're going to find a new quarterback next year. Then I could see them going under the six and a half. Well, remember this spot in the broadcast when new Eagles quarterback Deshaun Watson is under center in uh, week four. Yes, that, that will destroy me. Speaking of uh, Watson, funny uh, tidbit comes up. Apparently, he's not at practice because trainers were examining his foot and ankle. And for those that haven't been keeping up with Texans training camp, they've had Deshaun Watson playing scout team safety, just chilling there, trying not to get him hurt. And apparently, it didn't work. He's now uh, injured. So just another day uh, in the life of the Houston Texans organization. Gotta love it. Okay. One more squad here, Andrew. We got the Washington football team. The final question, mine is, will the good version of Fitz be out there for 17 games? Because, you know, if you just, again, if you just look at the competition he's facing, Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen, I'm not saying they can't win the job, but if we see the guy Fitz has been over the past three years, I mean, this is just a situation where the best player should win out and he's getting every chance to do that. Because in 2018, Fancy QB one in weeks one through three while Jameis Winston was suspended. Obviously made sense for the Buccaneers to see what they had in Jameis after that situation solved itself. 2019 QB two in week seven through 17 upon taking over full time from Josh Rosen, a quarterback, the Dolphins figured out finally, Hey, He's not our future fits. Go knock yourself out 2020 QB eight in weeks one through six before quote unquote, losing his job to Tua. As we saw in the remainder of the year, when it came down to it, you know, we need to win this game. There's only two drives left. They would literally take Tua out for Fitzpatrick. So finally, without this former top 10, you know, first round pick behind him, that the organization should rightfully see what they have in him. Fitz should have a chance to actually be a starting quarterback for the first time since that jets tenure he had in the mid 2010. So it's asking a lot for notorious boomer bus player to continue to boom. But man, if he can, Andrew, again, I think this Washington football team without dominant that, you know, defensive line, just full of former first round picks could be, if we get the year two jump from chase young and he like turns in like a defensive MVP caliber season, which I think he's capable of former number two overall pick, you know, a freaking predator uh, version of a man. 
we could be looking at a 2019 49ers type team where I think the offense is, you know, good enough and has enough big playability to win a game or two when needed. And the defense might just take care of the rest. So I know that's kind of what we were seeing last year to an extent. Maybe the defense takes a step back, but bringing back all those D linemen, adding William Jackson, the secondary, I think was a great move. Again, if we can just get the good version of Fitzpatrick, I think this Washington football team can make a lot of noise here. And, you know, not a completely wide open NFC because the Buccaneers, I think, deserve the benefit of the doubt but no breeze. Finally, we're not sure if the Rams experiment is going to work out. You know, Russ Wilson, Mr. Unlimited uh, seems, you know, a little more uh, iffy by the year. I don't know, man. Could be a year of Washington football team. As long as Ryan Fitzpatrick can be average, like he doesn't even necessarily need to be like a top 10 quarterback necessarily. I mean, we saw the Washington football team, you know, go toe to toe with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the playoffs who would go on to win the Super Bowl because they had a quarterback just throw the ball downfield. Like that's all like Fitzpatrick has to do is just like, Hey, are you willing to throw the ball downfield? He checks his a dot. Oh, ninth in the league since 2019 second in air yards percentage since 2019. Okay. Yeah. I can throw the ball downfield <laughs> because that's what they didn't do last year. I mean, when your offense runs through JD McKissick and Logan Thomas, like you're just not going to generate explosive plays. And that's what limited their offense last season. So I think that just, Fitzpatrick's presence alone being there and also him having the knowledge in the sense that, look, I don't need to necessarily push it pedal to the metal because I know I have an elite defense on the other side of the field. So if we have a lead, I think that they're actually going to run the football. It's actually something I noticed when I was looking at doing their team preview was the offensive quarters, offensive coordinator, Scott Turner would go super run heavy anytime that they had a lead last year. Again, that had to do with the quarterbacks that they did have last season. It was just like, no, like I don't want like Haskins or Kyle Allen or anybody throwing the football the minute that we get a lead because the minute we get the lead, we're just playing defense and, play, and we're trying to protect this lead. So I think that they'll be a little more pass heavy with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I think they will trust him a little bit more, but I do think that we're going to see the Antonio Gibson show when this team plays with leads because last year they just didn't have that. I remember that was a stat we talked about when we talked about Antonio Gibson just being like, look, if they're if this team's going to win a game, like those are going to be the games that Gibson blows up. And like you said, at eight and a half, uh, they're win total they're going to be probably winning more games this year than losing takes us right to our most underutilized player and i'm just praying it's not antonio gibson i, I saw a really good tweet from pff's own Dwayne mcfarland you can always find on twitter at context matters but he brought up the good point where it's weird because gibson being this collegiate wide receiver i mean it was 27 i think rush attempts to his name coming out we all expect him to get the pass down work wasn't the case. Overtook Peyton Barber as the lead early down back after just one week. Was ultimately out-targeted by J.D. McKissick. Oh, it hurts me to even say. 106 to 43 last year. Just absolutely absurd. McKissick, of course, led the entire running back position and targets. And Dwayne's point was that it's weird, but Gibson's most likely utilization comps for 2021. Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry, you know, getting 60, 70% of the team's rush attempts, 5 to 8% of the targets. Gibson, with that workload on a good top 12, top 15 scoring offense, should be able to be the borderline RB1 is being drafted. But if we want to get, you know, the true beast, the AGDC, the best freaking version of this guy possible, it's getting that pass down work that McKissick is currently souping up. So I think there are, you know, potentials for them to more or less split it. I don't see, you know, Gibson really getting 80 to 90 targets in this offense, but I think he can get 60 to 70 if they just really say, okay, Gibson, more, more is on your plate, which he said, you know, when he came on the PFF fantasy podcast, he said they were, weren't trying to put too much on his plate as a rookie. It makes sense. We saw them do this with McCaffrey from his first, second year. 
And the other big thing is that McKissick, 51 of his targets came in the slot or out wide. I mean, 33% of his snaps were out there. No other running back had more than 30 of those targets. Like, why else did they bring in Curtis Samuel, Diami Brown, Adam Humphreys? Like, all those other guys, I think, will be taking a good portion of McKissick's targets. So, it's not so much that, you know, I don't think the overall running back target share this year is going to be 144 total targets between them. But if it can be 120 and be more split up than it was last year, I think that's Gibson path to high-end RB1 success. Yeah, I mean, does the team even really view McKissick as a like a, a I mean, he used to play wide receiver, and like right. you mentioned, he's been running a lot of his routes out of the slot. I, I feel like they really turned to him last year. I don't even think he was like on the team really early on in the season. I feel like they picked him up later on during the year because they had so many injuries to the wide receiver position because I, I don't remember anybody drafting Jaden McKissick at the beginning of the uh, fantasy season last year. And then I just remember, Oh yeah, this guy got like 12 targets last week. Like we got to pick him up waiver wire, darling JD McKissick. So I, I think that his role is going to be some, some significantly decreased from last year. Like you said, mentioned with all the other receivers that have been added to the fold, because I really think they went to him out of necessity. Like, I don't think they had a choice because everybody was hurt. Even McLaurin got banged up towards the end of the year. So it was either throw to cam Sims or throw to, to JD McKissick and Alex Smith and his, you know, league low a dot was like, give me JD McKissick all day. And also another quick update from giants camp, oh my God. a full team brawl, a full team brawl at giants camp, but QB Daniel Jones, somehow at the bottom of the pile, Joe judge is absolutely livid. He's got the players lined up now to run. My goodness. We should have just made this a live stream. Ian and Angie's reactions to a giants <laughs> training camp. One after another, please feature Antonio Gibson. Now is our uh, last note here with uh, the Washington football team's most underutilized player. Andrew, who is your favorite fantasy value? And could it perhaps, be third round pick Diami Brown. It is not Diami Brown uh, because I like Curtis Samuel's value because he's like wide receiver. He's going outside the top 40 wide receivers. And I just think that's kind of that's interesting because he went, he was a 20 wide receiver, 25 in points per game last season. And I get that Adam Humphreys is getting a lot of pump up at practice because he's operating at the slot. You know, Fitzpatrick's, you know, they're building a great connection also, but Curtis Samuel's like not there. So again, if Curtis Samuel, I, I anticipate him playing some snaps from the slide. I don't necessarily think Humphreys is going to be a full-time starter there, but either way, I just think that Curtis Samuel is a really talented player. You know, he was a wide receiver one from week seven through 17 last year, 16.9 fantasy points per game. And that was alongside Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. So he like showed last year that he could earn targets, you know, amid competition. And really it's look. I mean, it's Terry McLaurin is obviously the guy there, but I'm not afraid of Logan Thomas. I mean, Logan Thomas is ADP is so inflated from last year when he ran more routes than any other tight end. And he ran more slot routes or more slot snaps than any tight end in the past decade. Like that's ancient history. Like that's not going to happen. All I did was add guys that can play out of the slot. So yeah. Logan Thomas, I can't get behind, but I can get behind Curtis Samuel at the wide receiver 42 price tag. You know, Scott Turner has used this guy before he's shown an affinity to get him the ball as a rusher. Like we saw even during his, the end of 2019 when Scott Turner took over as offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. I think that we're going to see more from Curtis Samuel. They know how to use him there. So I like him at his price. Curtis works. Hopefully that groin injury that's keeping him on the pup right now isn't 
anything to really worry about as we continue to get into August. I would just say with Diami, you know, it's the same thing with Josh Palmer. We're looking at a good passing game, a third round pick that sooner rather than later seems to have a more than reasonable chance to crack his way into three wide receiver sets. And we're looking at him going next to Tyrell Williams, Sammy Watkins, Amon Ross St. Brown. I just think Diami, you know, a proven explosive playmaker. I brought up, uh, you know, his standing and playmaker rate on this podcast several times already. Again, if the Curtis groin thing is a real issue, Diami's going to be out there sooner rather than later. I think he could make the most out of some of this opportunity. And Andrew, you were shitting on Logan Thomas a little bit there. And for those that don't know the former college quarterback, Logan Thomas, I am putting it out there right now that at some point this year, Logan Thomas will throw a touchdown to Ryan Fitzpatrick and it will be a fantastic moment. But I think there is a wild card scenario where Logan again posts top five numbers. I know what you're saying. He shouldn't see the same amount of targets, but they do treat him as an every down tight end. Now, whether or not that changes with the new people in the slot, certainly, you know, a topic of debate, but he literally didn't play under 90% of these offensive snaps from week nine on last season. And while I remember, you know, he scored a touchdown in week one where the Eagles just literally didn't cover him and everyone's freaking out about it because some of these box score watchers don't actually look at the film sometimes. But by the end of the year, man, like some of those catches he was making down the stretch, he looked like an actual legit high-end tight end. So I believe before he actually played quarterback in college he was the nation's number one graded tight end coming out of high school so it's not like the tim tebow thing where you know he's just getting a chance because you know his old ball coach happened to get a job and they're feeling like it's a -a make-a-wish type of thing but with logan thomas man i just think that you know he did it last year and it's not like we have to buy him at the price he was doing it at in terms of you know the borderline tight end one range i will take logan thomas over evan ingram and probably even over dallas goddard at this point because as much as he now has other competition in the slot he doesn't have any at tight end and we do know Fitz was able to do some good things with OJ Howard and Cam Bray never enough for one of them to ball out but if we could combine them into one guys seemingly Logan Thomas I do think we could have someone that's a high-end tight end one all right I I I understand. I'm still gonna I'm gonna take some of the Patriots tight ends first before Logan Thomas. Yeah. I like the Patriots, I like the Patriots tight ends. So my wild card is just just hitting on JD McKissick again. So he saw 100 plus, 100 plus targets last season, which is the most among all running backs. And I just don't think that's repeatable in this offense with all the new players that they added. Curtis Samuel specifically finished second among all wide receivers and targets behind the line of scrimmage last year. So that's usually where you see a lot of targets go to the running back position. So I, I just think that a lot of McKissick's like appeal and why he's being drafted again, like he's not going to like nuke your team if you draft him, but I don't know if he's ever going to see similar spike weeks that he had last year. And this, I mean, his target share was 18%. Like that's like Alvin Kamara level target share. And it's JD McKissick. We're talking about here, dude. So I'm just like, like he's kind of like viewed as like Naeem Hines, but I don't think it's really, I mean, I think Naeem Hines is like actually has a legitimate role in the Colts offense, especially now that they have a different quarterback. So I think that he's going to be legitimately used. I don't feel the same way about JD. That's why I literally don't have any, I don't think I've drafted JD because it wants no him like because him Naeem Hines James White all these guys like okay you should probably if when if you enter the fantasy pros ranking competition you should probably move them up from where you have them because they'll consistently give you these like RB 30 RB 40 weeks and by the time the end of the season comes around you know you'll be shocked to see that they actually finish all right but they are 
like they'll just never get a full down rule. They're not these flexes with benefits that we're talking about where like it's AJ Dillon or Latavius Murray, where they can give you similar value. And then if an injury happens, all of a sudden we're talking about an RB one. I mean, I don't know if, if JD McKissick could ever get like 10 rush attempts per game on this squad. If Gibson and Peyton Barber got hurt, like I maybe they bring back Bryce love or, you know, Darius Geiser. I don't freaking know. Like, we're not seeing these scat backs getting 10 plus carries under any scenario. And for that reason, like they just don't have the upside, I think to warrant a selection, even as you know, they get into the uh, double digit rounds in the draft. So yeah, miss me with those guys. Maybe if it's like, you know, just uh, if Alex Smith was back and you know, we didn't have this stuff then maybe that'd be a conversation, you know, Giovanni Bernard potentially becoming Brady's version of James white. Okay. Maybe we can start to talk about that, but even then probably, uh, you know, just uh, not giving enough credit to the lack of upside at hand. Andrew, we got our over under eight and a half, pretty much even minus minus one fifteen. We both taken over. Yes. Taking the over here again, they have everything. It's the quarterback play was just so bad last year. And Fitzpatrick, all he has to do is be average. Like he doesn't even need to like take this team to the promised land necessarily. He just needs to hone in the turnovers and be at least what he's been the past two seasons, which has been a really efficient quarterback. So I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and even if things kind of unravel, at least the Washington football team has an interesting player like a Taylor Heineke, who at least flashed last year, something like he's mobile, like he has something that he can offer. So they're not like totally screwed. If Fitzpatrick implodes, like Heineke is at least an interesting quarterback that they have on the roster. All right, now for the big moment, everyone. NFC East division winner, Cowboys plus 130, Washington plus 230, Giants plus 450, Eagles plus 550. Who do you got, Andrew? I want to burn my money. I'm going to take the Giants to take the Giants, oh. but I don't want to burn my money. So I'm going to go with the, the football team. I got the football team as well. Plus two thirty. I know we've had this ridiculous streak of, you know, different NFC East division winner by year. So maybe it keeps on keeping on, but you know, we got Joe judge running his players. Like he's Herb Brooks right now at practice. We got <laughs> a Cowboys team with, you know, maybe not the single worst defense in the league, but probably in the argument Eagles team that we've certainly gone through their flaws throughout this whole podcast. So come on Fitz one last Cinderella story in you. Let's go make some noise with this Washington football team here in 2021. Before we get out of here, everyone, I would be remiss if I didn't just give a quick shout out to our sponsor because support for PFF is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the lawnmower 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped for this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. One more time, that's 20% off of free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Andrew, I heard some good news. You and uh, Mr. Brian Drake, I believe, will be hosting the PFF Sirius XM show. Good stuff, man. Yes, we're going to be on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio up until Labor Day from 3 to 5 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. So make sure you tune in. I don't know exactly what the channel is, but SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio, I'll be there. We'll be talking all things fantasy football, some betting. It's going to be a ton of fun. So tune in if you have SiriusXM. Check that out. As always, Andrew continues to pump out team previews over at PFF.com. I got my 100 questions in 100 day series. We're down to like 17 or 18 left. 
I'm excited. Probably not going to, you know, do it again next year. I'm happy to maybe get through it one time, but, uh, you know, certainly uh, just always, you know, I, I think if you look at your work from one year to the next and you're not trying to make it more efficient or change something here or there, you're doing it wrong. We, we can't all be teachers and just use the same, uh, you know, teaching plan for 20 <laughs> same curriculum and, every, every yeah, single year, just update, just, update the years. <laughs> that was always a weird thing, man. Like teachers, like actually like at college professors or something getting pissed when like kids would be using the same test from like six years ago. It's like, I don't know, like, isn't that more of a, just shouldn't that be more of an issue with the teacher using the same damn test for six straight years? Like come the hell on that shouldn't be on the students. No, no, it's definitely not. And again, like it's, it's, it's bad on them because they're not the ones that are updating their stuff. So it's like, if I'm asked someone that I know that's had the test before, it's the exact same one. It's like, that's what I'm going to do. If you're not cheating. You're not trying. Sorry, people. Take to be the bearer of bad news. I know. <laughs> I love all you teachers out there. I wish you'd all get paid more and stuff. It's just, you know, maybe, maybe change the test before six years go by. That's all I'm saying. Don't shoot the messenger. He's Andrew. I'm Ian. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And people, thank you for tuning in as always. Until next time, take care.